Hello, and welcome to Found, TechCrunch's podcast that brings you the stories behind the startups from the folks that are building them. And I'm joined, as always, by my fabulous co-host, Dominic Midori Davis. Dom, how's it going? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing good. Getting ready to wrap up the year. We were just chatting about this before we started recording, but looking forward to the year ending, despite the fact that I'm not taking any time off. (laughs) Same here. (laughs) Yeah. I'm actually scared, though, of... 2024 because that doesn't sound like a real year. No, I keep thinking back on the year and I'm like, oh, that happened a month ago. And it's like, nope, that happened in February of 2023. Like this year has felt both very long and very short. I know, right? We're getting old. Yeah, and 24, I mean, good vibes next year, I'm sure. All good vibes, only good vibes. Only good vibes. Well, going off of having only good vibes, It's a super fun episode we have for you today because it's our first host-only episode. Dom and I are going to be taking a look back at some of the themes from 2023 across the companies we spoke to, and we might even make a few predictions for 2024. But to start it off, looking back at the companies we spoke to this year, we spoke to 45 startups this year in industries ranging from climate to ed tech to commerce and even one ear-piercing company. The two industries we spoke with the most were climate and sustainability and healthcare. Not a crypto company in sight. Not one crypto company in sight. Not a Web3 company on the brain. (laughs) What was your favorite company we spoke to? That's a good question. There were so many good ones this year. I really liked, we had one on really early in the year called Gig Finesse, which was like a tool, venues, and bars, and Everything under that kind of category could use to book live music, making it easier for both sides, both the bands, as well as the venues to have consistent shows and consistent programming. But I also really liked, I really liked the plant, Grant Hine from ePlant, who could talk to the trees. What about you? Okay, so I would have to say ePlant, but I'm also really upset that I miss Colossal, that mammoth company that you and Daryl spoke to. Oh, yeah. About bringing back the mammoth. Like, I don't know why I'm thinking about if that was the company that was also trying to bring... They weren't trying to make food out of the mammoths, were they? No. This is so funny. I literally just met with the guy this morning. And he was... I asked him about that company and he was like, No! We're not (laughs) trying to bring them back to eat them. Like, we're not doing that. Yeah, that episode was fun, though, because I feel like Joe and I went in pretty suspect, like pretty suspicious, like, yeah, okay, de-extinction, sure, that sounds cool. And then in the outro, we were like, I don't know, like, maybe, maybe I've been convinced. Maybe I'm leaning in. There are some animals I just don't want to see again. There are some sea creatures. Well, first of all, the ocean, I'm going to let you be. But then, like, some of, those, some of those dinosaurs can stay dead. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, do not come back. <laughs> Hot take. I repeat, do not come back to Earth. Oh, my God. But it's fun that we, like, thinking about both those companies, because they both fit under, like, the biggest theme we had this year, which was climate and sustainability. Because we talked to so many different companies in the space, which I think it's fun because sometimes getting PR pitches and getting funding round announcements, it would seem like everyone in climate is building in like two areas. Like they're building something related to EVs or batteries or something related to carbon credits, which I'm begging one of you to explain to me how that would make any climate difference. But we talked to a whole range of people, like Jewel Case recently with the diesel generators. And then, of course, our boy at ePlant chatting with trees, keeping them alive in a different way. Talk to some solar folks. It's kind of interesting to get the whole range. Yeah, you know what's like fascinating is when 
we're in this tech world and there's so much innovation happening in climate technology. And then you step out of the tech world and you see that climate change is such kind of like a a political hot topic right now. Like, is it real? Does it exist? Like, let's stop talking about ESG. And then you go deep into tech and everyone's like, yeah, you know, we're building, we're going to fix this, we're going to mitigate this. And so it's actually quite encouraging to see that a lot of people are taking it so seriously and they're not listening to the outside politicization of climate as an issue. Definitely. And something else that I think is interesting is some of the companies we spoke to, especially this year, like building things that people would kind of buy into without even the climate piece. Like I think about like people like Exiger or Jewel Case, especially with Jewel Case. Oh, here's this different type of generator. that's going to work the same for you and cost you less money over time. It's like, oh, well, of course, customers are going to want that. And then it's like, oh, and it's more sustainable and it's better for the environment. And it's like, I feel like that's a lot of these companies are like sneaking people behind the politicization because it's like, no, this is just a better product in general. And then it also has all these climate benefits, too. Yeah, like Spout. It's just clean water out of the air. Like, who doesn't want that? Yeah. Who doesn't want that? Exactly. It's more sustainable, but they don't even have to talk about that angle and people are going to want to buy one of those. There's just so many use cases for it, which is good to see. Because that, I think, is the stuff that's going to move the needle a lot more than, like, the companies who are, like, being tossed out as examples in these, like, Congress hearings and stuff like that. Yeah, I know. Oh, my gosh. How was the market this year for climate tech and sustainability? Do you know? I don't know off the top of my head, but it definitely seems like things are interesting. Like, I've been talking to a lot of companies off the podcast, too, in the climate space that I feel like are just building different things that I'm used to seeing in this category. Like, I chatted with a company a couple of weeks ago that are just working on upskilling people for green energy jobs, which is like, well, of course you would need something like that. But it's like that had never occurred to me. I hadn't seen other companies doing that and then discovered there's a few that are relatively new trying that or companies like looking to do like recycling stuff. And just seems like people are starting to branch out this year, which is a good thing. I can't read about another carbon credit startup. I just can't. <laughs> Becca hates carbon credits. I just don't get them. We need solutions now, not things for like 20 years down the road. I don't know. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the coverage from our colleague, Tim, and it seems like, I mean, like every sector, climate was hit pretty hard. But he said that, you know, funding is down, but it's not out yet. I bet that's because there's just so much innovation happening and so many like cool things that's going on. And it's definitely something I'm excited to continue following and seeing. I mean, just thinking of the ice cream, man. Yes. We have to clean the air for the kids, guys. No, and it's nice, too, because we had like the companies we had on have raised very different amounts of funding. Companies like Zwitterco has raised a solid amount of venture funding. Spout's raised some venture funding. And then you got like Jewel Case had very successful equity crowdfunding and stuff like that. It definitely seems like investors are interesting back in this category, too, right now, which is good, even if they're investing less, which I mean, they're investing less in everything except AI. Oh, my goodness. AI was everywhere. It felt like this year, especially it, it popped up in a lot of the conversations that we had, too. Definitely. And it is so funny, too, because it's like, on the one hand, I'm like, okay, are we really talking about AI again and like use case 999? But then at the same time, it's what's so weird about this AI momentum in general, because the majority of people who came on the show this year to talk about AI were just pointing out something their company's been doing forever, like the whole time. But it's just like we've all just started talking about it over the last year. 
I know. That's been the weirdest thing. It's like, of course, all the medical companies we spoke to had been using AI for a bit, and now it's kind of reframing the pitch, I guess, to pick up traction and investors and like investor attention. But yeah, just seeing that AI has always been here and now it's just chat GPT made it so popular that everyone's like, look at me, I'm I'm also AI. But I think like for a lot of these companies, they didn't even need to talk kind of about the AI outside of it because all of it was still cool regardless. And then there were also companies, companies that were using AI in sectors where it was like, yeah, you definitely need a lot more AI, a lot more help to fix that. The medical sector in particular, I can't even imagine the paperwork, just the red tape. So much is going on in the medical industry. They need help. Oh, I know. And especially, too, it was nice because so much of the narrative in venture around AI this year has been companies are moving too fast or like companies are building AI models off of things that may run into copyright issues and stuff down the line. But then I feel like the majority of the companies using AI we had on were companies that have been building for a couple of years, had their own models and like really weren't going to run into the issues that a lot of like the newer AI startups probably will. So it's kind of like a refreshing going against the grain of like what we were hearing for like the overall space, which I thought was really interesting because it's easy sometimes when you are following these trends to be like, everybody's doing this. And then we had companies on who are like, no, we've been building for five years. We've done it ethically. Like we should not be lumped into that category. And it's like, good. That's how it should be, you know? Right. Yeah. Are you more or less excited about AI going into 2024? Are you more optimistic? Are you more pessimistic? I think it depends on who's in charge. I mean, the open AI scandal showed that none of those guys should be in charge of AI right now. And so my biggest thing is like, who's training the data? The AI bias, I think, is really the biggest thing I'm worried about. Like, I think AI is really, really cool, but we need to be taking a lot more steps to be training these algorithms properly. And I don't think that the people in charge of AI right now that's giving all this money to it, I don't think that that is their top priority. Yeah, I know. A perfect example of someone we spoke to this year not doing that would be Regard. It stuck with me this whole time that he was like, oh, if the model notices something, it doesn't automatically learn from it. We have to tell it to learn from it, which I thought was like a fascinating way to kind of try to mitigate some of that that I hadn't heard yet. Yeah, that was actually really interesting. And that's good because there's a lot of medical bias, but it's also like, what if you are biased? But then that goes to this whole meta discussion. I was I moderated a panel about ethical AI, and it was like this meta discussion of, well, who holds AI accountable? Even when you do teach AI, mm. like what if it just starts being biased again? And it's a whole loop. I don't know if it'll ever end. I don't know who's going to be in charge of any of it. No, definitely think we will still be talking about it a lot next year, regardless of what happens. Hopefully a lot of good, but I have a feeling we'll be talking about a lot of bad. Involving AI too. We have to wrap up the open AI plot. I need to know what Sam did. I need to know what happened in the board. Like, I need the HBO documentary, and then I need a, a reenaction of it on Netflix. Like, this is not over. Oh, no. The AI conversation, we're just getting started, actually. <laughs> they can't do to us what they did to us about Scooter Braun. We still don't know what Scooter Braun did for all of his clients to drop him. We don't know. We're not letting Sam Maltman find the same fate. Exactly. It's like, no, 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 no. We need to know just because we're nosy. Like, <laughs> like I just want to know for personal reasons. Oh, yeah. Like, would I cover it? I don't know. <laughs> I just want to know. I'm curious. I just want to know. And now we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back in a second. You know, it was another interesting theme in talking about 
trends and following trends and who has and who hasn't been is seeing investors, of course, throw money at all of these AI companies, but then also seeing what investors didn't throw money at. No, so true. Always such an interesting piece of venture and something that I have really enjoyed diving into more on this podcast, particularly because this is where I feel like I find out about most of these instances. But I mean, some of the companies we on this year, it's just crazy to think of how hard it was for them to fundraise, like companies like Sparkfly, like, okay, you have all these huge corporate clients, which is like what you would assume is the exact thing venture investors are looking for. And the CEO and founder couldn't raise any venture money. And then nothing against Suds by any means, but they're brick and mortar, innovating on a space that technically, like they're bringing something differentiated, but they're not really bringing something that new. And it's very capital intensive with the brick and mortar locations and VCs like rush to it. You want both companies to raise money, but like seeing those divides is like very interesting. I know, especially because Sparkfly, didn't she have like Chipotle as a customer or something? She had like a very, very big customer. I think she had a few. And it was like still nothing. Babbel also did not immediately pick up investor traction, which is interesting looking back, that seemed like an industry ripe for disruption and innovation. Babbles is a good product. It's like, why didn't investors, they were in Berlin, uh, but (laughs) I don't know, maybe an American investor would have thrown like a bunch of cash at it. But it also seems like some founders did not want all of that. And I think Joel Case was an example, because I feel like there's still some control of your company that you can retain when you don't just take investor money. For sure. And it was definitely interesting to hear that perspective. I'm so glad we ended up having them on the show because we talk about venture funding so much with a lot of the startups that come on. So it was very interesting to talk to someone who was like, yeah, I raised it at my last startup. And the startup, of course, failed because of the financial crisis, which isn't, you know, like there's nothing they can really do about that as a company. But them just being like, nope. We're just not going to raise that this time. It doesn't make sense for us. We'd just rather do the crowdfunding route and how it's worked out really well. It's definitely like a positive fundraising story heading into next year, but it's given me a new perspective on how startups think about like VCs as well. Yeah, I mean... As two venture capital reporters, we can sit here and say maybe not everyone, you know, should be looking for VC money. Definitely. And like thinking about it, because I've been digging into the crowdfunding space a little bit since we talked to Jewel Case, you forget how many big companies didn't originally raise VC money and did originally do stuff like crowdfunding, like Oculus and Peloton. Peloton did a Kickstarter, like pre all these nice like ways you can raise online, like WeFunder and stuff like that. So it is interesting kind of like diving into how these people have approached it. Or even like Exeger. Exeger, they've raised quite a bit of venture money, but so spaced out. And that was purposeful. Like they purposely only raised every like, I think it was like three to four years, which like thinking about that after 2020, 2021 is crazy. I know when everyone was going in for new rounds, trying to get those overinflated valuations, seeing someone take their time. It's like an album rollout. I feel like remember when artists used to space out their albums and now you just get like quick pop hits all the time. Mm -hmm. It's like, take your time, take your time, build your products. You know, we're still going to be here or will we still be here? I don't know. But it was good to hear. What was also my favorite thing to ask a lot of these founders is even though they're building slow, building fast, regardless of what they were doing, I love talking to them about their company culture and seeing how they were running their companies. I started asking them a lot about how they were fostering positive working environments and like no one had a good answer. So I think I just started asking a different question. Yeah. That was really interesting. I'm so glad you were asking that pretty much all year because 
some companies had like really great answers, but they were in the minority. I know, right? And I even wrote a piece about this because it kind of goes against the whole build fast and like, you know what you're getting into because startups just have like a really cutthroat environment. I'm really curious to see what the future of work looks like and what the future employee looks like. And I feel like startups can still maintain that fast paced grind culture. But I do think that employees are going to want a little bit more empathy from their leaders going forward. And I think there's so many ways, too, where you can kind of find the best of both worlds. Like, okay, you want this fast paced culture and you like want all of that kind of stuff. But you also can totally have like flexibility for your employees who need to work from home or need to work remotely or need to do X, Y, Z or maybe need extra space and time on certain things. Like, I feel like there's a great way where you can kind of like strike the balance, which is interesting because I feel like we definitely had a lot of people who are either like on one end of the camp or the other. It's interesting to get inside the mindset, I guess, of the founders running these places. Because I guess at what point in a company's life do you put in work policies and PTO and stuff? Yeah, because I know there's like certain things, especially with like fostering like an inclusive workplace environment. Talking especially back in like 2020 when a lot of like venture funds were just like, we'll just get more diverse. And it's like, um, okay, so what are you going to, what does that mean? I remember I was talking to this investor over at Equal Ventures and he was saying, he was like, yeah, diversity is kind of one of those things that if you don't think about from the start, you're literally fucked. Yeah. He's like, you really can't go back and fix it. Like, sorry. It's kind of one of those things you have to think about from the beginning. And I feel like there's a lot of aspects of like company culture. You have to think about that too, because I feel like the biggest uproar you see from employees is when like a good policy gets reversed. Like I was just looking today, I think it's nationwide, just got a new CEO and reversed a couple of the policies from the old CEO that people really liked. And everyone was just like, well, what the hell? And she's like, well, I'm in charge now. Those don't work for us. And so it's like, I feel you have to think about these things from the beginning because reversing on stuff later is like quite easily like the worst thing you could do. I know. Oh, that sounds like a nightmare because people get used to it too. Yeah. It's just saying like it, it doesn't work for us. And it's like, who's us? Like we've been here. You're new. Yeah. I know the founder of Sparkfly as well as the founder from Babbel. Like the founder from Babbel was saying he still talks to every new person, which is crazy. And the woman from Sparkfly had that whole thing where she was like for a while meeting every single person, like I think once a quarter. Just so interesting, like especially Babel, that proves like you still can be that hands-on and like that one-on-one supportive, even though Babel's a couple hundred people now. I know the dedication to meeting every single person is actually, I mean, that's good. I think more founders, CEOs should take that time to meet with the people who are working for them. <laughs> you know you know a founder who I really, really liked talking to this year was Amy from Authentex. I really liked how she broke down kind of talking to her family before she just leapt into building this startup because it is such a disruption, not only to your life, but also to everyone's life around you. And I feel like there's like, there's a stereotype or at least, I don't know, I just saw Super Pumped. So I'm just, I'm like, there's a certain type of founder. I feel that there's like a selfishness, I feel often when you're building a company because you're thinking just about you and growth and the company, but it really impacts personal relationships and people around you. So I was, I really, really liked hearing her talk about navigating that. No, that's a good point. That's definitely something that was a fun aspect of a lot of the conversations we had this year was I feel like I'm walking away from this year with a really a better feeling of how entrepreneurs actually feel. 
And a lot of them were like very candid about different experiences that they've had growing the company that, I don't know, you just don't read about very often. Like with Amy, I've never heard of a founder talking about having to like tell their family like, yeah, we're not going to be able to do these things if I start this company. But of course, that's the reality for so many of them. Yeah, they never want to talk about what they gave up to make the dream happen, the hustle. Yeah, it's like the founder of Babbel, too, just being like, yeah, we had no money and didn't take a salary for two years, which we were privileged to do. But like, they're so lucky nothing happened during that time. Huge, unexpected medical thing or something like they're privileged to be able to do that. But of course, things could have gone wrong. The medical thing and they're in Europe with free health care. Oh, my God. You're you're right. They're fine. (laughs) (laughs) They're fine. It's us. It's us. (laughs) Or I think about like David from Masterclass being very candid that he wasn't sure if people were going to like his idea. Like, I feel like a lot more founders could say that, but they would never admit it where he was just like, yep, this is something new that we're trying. Like, I don't know if it will work. I'm scared if people will want it. I mean, that's real. No one talks about that. I know. They're always like, we're going to B2B SaaS platform. We're going to disrupt and transform. It's never the whole like, I honestly, I'm just doing this and I don't know if this is going to work, but we're going to see. No, for sure. What is it called? Humility? Maybe that doesn't, maybe investors don't really like that. You're supposed to like change the world. You can't be afraid of that. I know, which is another fun divide of like how VCs talk versus what they do because when they talk, they're like, well, yeah, I mean, we're just shooting, trying to shoot for home runs here. Most of the portfolio isn't going to do anything. And then the thought of an, like a startup founder being like, I hope people like it would be negative. It's like such another divide. But thinking about next year now, and I know it's fun. It's like we've already have some stuff scheduled through January, which every time I get a calendar invite for 2024, a little piece of me dies just a little bit, but that's okay. But thinking about next year, Dom, what is your hottest take for 2024? Ooh, the hottest take. I have no idea. I mean, a big trend that we're seeing is specifically funding to women has remained stagnant and funding to Black founders has dipped. I imagine that there's going to be a massive wave of more backlash to DEI stuff that has been going on, inclusion, all of those things. There's probably going to be a little bit more of a dip in funding. You know, what was really interesting that we also kind of touched on in our episodes was how, do you think that the face of what it means to be a founder has changed because it seems like a tech person is no longer like a Mark Zuckerberg looking person with the hoodies and just in their 20s. It seems like the face of an entrepreneur has changed so much. Like we have people in their 50s and 60s and also in their 30s and 40s. And so I think we're probably going to see maybe an increase of that, of changing the face of the stereotypical tech bro. Yeah. And I definitely think that's something that's been happening over the last couple of years that I would agree, I think will continue into next year, especially with like watching what's happened with layoffs and things like that. And I know people are very eager to see kind of like what some of that talent builds. If you were in your 20s, maybe you'd be like, oh, shoot, I got to get another job or whatever. But if you're in your 40s or 50s or you've sort of experienced a pain point for a long time and then got laid off, like I do think we'll see a different class of founders. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. New technology, new innovation, maybe. Yeah. And also it's fun to think about putting everything into like a broader context. If IPOs do come back next year, the way a lot of people are predicting, hoping, desperately begging, we will see a lot of new exits from top 
management. Of course, valuations are getting cut, so it won't be like the exits we saw in 2020, 2021 for those like initial employees and founders themselves. But there's going to be new people with money and the ability to write angel checks and the ability to maybe want to go into investing if the IPO window does open back up. And of course, new people holding the purse strings means new companies get funded. And that, of course, just like changes the dynamic too. I know new people for us to cover. Oh my goodness, I hope this IPO window opens back up so these investors can stop crying. Just someone needs to go public. Let these founders move on with their <laughs> lives. But I wonder what type of environment all of these new companies are going to be started in. Because, I mean, companies now are struggling. There have been, you know, rumors in the stories of companies just running out of money. You have, like, ghost companies, I think. Zombie companies, I think, is the term that was being used. Yeah. So what's interesting about next year and chatting with a few people at that holiday party we were at last week, Dom, there's a lot of people who are saying like Q3 was actually really bad for startups and firms alike. And like, we just don't really know the extent of it yet. And I know Q4, we have seen a lot of layoffs recently, which is very uncommon for like this time of year because people usually try to like hold out until the beginning of the year because of the holidays and stuff like that. But maybe that's the omen though. Like maybe the December layoffs means 2024 will be really bad in that way if people are like not even waiting. You know, the signs are not looking good, but we can be optimistic. That's what being a founder is all about. Exactly. That's what's funny. It's like the market. Well, funny, I can say that because I'm not working in the market, but um, it's like everything's so doom and gloom. And then it's like every other day I'm like, wow, this company is really cool. Or like, oh, wow, this firm raised money. Like their strategy is really interesting. So it's like there's still a lot of good and still definitely a lot to be excited about for next year. I know. I'm so excited. I wonder what's going to happen a year from now, like who we're going to be talking about, what companies are are going to be invented, basically. No, I'm very excited. And I'm interested to see kind of how things turn out. We'll see. But before we wrap up for the year, we just wanted to take a second to thank all of you listeners for hanging out with us all year. It's been really fun. And I'm thrilled that Dom has joined the team and I feel like we've had a lot of fun. Yeah, we just thank you so much for coming along for the ride. Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter Becca Skutak, alongside senior reporter Dominic Midori Davis. Found is produced by Maggie Stamitz with editing by Kel. Our illustrator is Bryce Durbin. Found's audience development and social media is managed by Morgan Little, Alyssa Stringer, and Natalie Kreisman. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.